Okay, this is uh, Daisy here, and I'm back for what is our my third episode of Si Se Puede, and I'm here with a special guest named Hannah Somera, and she's a botanical stylist, and she's here to share her story about her business called Heavy Petal. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to have her introduce herself and talk about her business and how she got started, and yeah, so let's let's get it started. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm Hannah Samara. I'm a botanical stylist, and um, Heavy Petals, my little baby business. Um, I build green walls and vertical gardens and do plant styling. So that means, like, for events or staging or when creative offices want to green up their space, those types of things. Cool. Um, hold on. I have to look at my notes really quick for the follow-up question to that. And I was on the train over here looking at a bunch of other things I shouldn't have been looking at. So give me a second to pull that up. Here it is. Um, so how long has it been that you've been freelancing? And what were you doing before Heavy Pedal? Um, I've been freelancing. So January will be two years Altogether, heavy pedal being in existence and one year of it being full time. Mm-hmm. Um, before I was in, I had a day job. It wasn't really aligned with what I wanted to do, but it was amazing as far as scheduling for flexibility because I was putting myself through school as well. Um, but it was basically working in property management for a long time, so completely unrelated. But you know, it actually ended up being really helpful to to working for myself and for clients as well because working in properties I got to know a lot of uh, project managers and also just all of my residents became this amazing community and I've gotten so much work through word of mouth through them and and through friends that were once some of my residents too so I wouldn't say that it was completely irrelevant I guess it was it was really helpful at the end of the day. Right. I remember um, when we first linked up through like the Facebook group and we emailed a little bit back and forth, you did mention, you linked me to that uh, blog post where mm-hmm. you shared your story with me. And I was like, after it, I was like, yes, let's mm-hmm. meet up and let's talk. But like you did mention about how you're oddly enough, that job of project management was able to provide support to your freelance position now. Um and I thought that that was like so cool because we never really know, in my opinion, like, or we try to get to where we want to be, right? We have these goals and we have like these steps of like step one should be, should go before step two, step three, step four, right? So, and then, and then ultimately, like, I never expected to be a freelance photographer now and in the way that I that I am focusing on being a freelance photographer I never imagined that I was gonna get like <clears throat> fired and that would be like the fire in my butt to be like all right the, the, what better time is now right <laughs> so so like for you like how what when you think about how your project management job um sort of aligned with your freelance business now what do you like do you think that's funny or like you're like that's great like did you ever even have an inkling that that's was going to help you in the long run? I think that's such a great question and also a really good point to make about you do kind of expect this like checklist and the way things are going to go in order because that's how we plan life, right? We plan it that it's going to, it's all going to pan out this certain way. And yeah, I, I 
didn't really think it was going to have that big of a role uh, as, as much as it did. But even going back before that, I was in visual merchandising and visual communications was my major at fashion school. That's where I first started going to college. Uh, I came from a design background and then really just wanted to make more money and because so I could put myself through school. So then I went to property management because it was what I seemed, what I thought was safe. But really building a community and making friends along the way, like you never know who, not that, not that you're benefiting from knowing people, but when you expand your circle, networking happens, opportunities come up, and you meet some amazing people along the way. Um, working with working in that realm, like I just said, you know, I got a lot of I got a lot of jobs through that. But also, it just gave me the tools to to be, I think, a better boss because I did have so many like roles or wear a lot of hats, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, kind of combined too with having a design background and then really spending a lot of my time in this community setting, they combined and kind of were part of the genesis that is Heavy Pedal. I mean, uh, so the blog does mention that there was a, a chapter in my life where my like, my perspective and things shifted uh, when I got sick and really wanted to, I just valued the time that I have on this earth. And uh, so that combined with my experience really kind of got me going um, in this direction because it yeah I guess just um God, it's, it's, it's like hard to talk to when I when I'm really like thinking about the whole the road that I got there because it's just so windy and there are all these like intersections and you look back at it and you're like even though I was an in like a store designer an art teacher I worked in education and I worked in um in property management project management it's in event coordinating, you're like, we actually all, some of those things have parts that help me out now. And it's funny because I've been called a, like a dilettante before. I think like an ex-boyfriend called me a dilettante. You know, like I haven't really mastered one art, but I'm like, I see it as, a, as not a bad thing right? because yeah, I've had all these different experiences that shaped me and put me in this position to where I'm, I'm very driven and grateful for that. Yeah, I totally feel that. I, um, I have therapy every Sunday. I go to therapy with my therapist in Mid-City. And one of the things that I mentioned in our last session was how, you know, um, I also mentioned my windy road, you know, just funny enough over there uh, when I was talking to her about like how I'm here now, but it it's all been like all over the place. I've weaved in and out of things. And I'm also someone who can wear a lot of hats. You know, I'm, I help organize LA Zine Fest. I have admin background. I have a creative background too. Um, and I think that one of the things I was talking about was how when I was doing the photography program in Santa Monica, Santa Monica College a few years ago, instead of me like focusing on the fact of of like learning just taking advantage of the fact that I'm able to learn all these techniques because like 
Santa Monica College, the photography program there, it's a very commercial program. Like, it's not really meant for someone who's trying to do fine art stuff. Like, maybe in the portfolio class, that's when you can really just shoot whatever you want, however you want, as long as you're using the techniques that they've taught you leading up to that point. But otherwise, a lot of the, the classes there for photography are very commercial oriented, you know? And I think that when you're younger, we kind of get stuck. For me, I was very, like, stubborn and just, like, focusing on the fact that oh I don't want to shoot soap <laughs> like shooting soap is boring or like shooting a bottle of wine like why are we doing this instead of just like you know really <laughs> just yeah mm-hmm. just trying to be like really open to just absorbing all the knowledge mm-hmm. and um and I think that if I were to be doing things with a much more open mind when I was younger I would have potentially reached my road reached you know my photography status now like earlier I don't know but then again who knows maybe I had to go through those things essentially to be where I am today Mm -hmm. you know and but it is kind of funny because like I think that I don't know a lot of people that had a straight shot to where they want to be like I feel like especially in America and like in American culture they just really want you to go to school get a degree and that's it but I also know a lot of people that did all that they have a degree and they're not doing you know like one of my good friends she went to mills college in like san francisco like up in the up in the bay and it's a great school and she i don't know what kind of degree she has but i think it's art related Mm -hmm. but she's a chef you know that's what she's doing now she's a personal chef and i'm like that's really awesome but like i don't know i feel like in america needs to nurture creativity as much as they nurture like getting degrees because I feel like people could maybe reach their fullest potential faster and Absolutely. I don't know and then um and also with the with all the like short careers that exist now like how many in my experience recently looking trying to look for jobs you know I, I've seen how many people value like marketing, uh, social media, strategic, social media planner, social media community organizer. That's all like a thing now. And it's mm-hmm. like becoming really difficult. Before, maybe a couple years ago, it was easier to be a social media strategist. But now it's like everybody wants to do social media, right? Because it's like a really accessible thing. We like all use it. You know, it's like a, if, you, if you have access to a computer and it doesn't even have to be your computer you can go to the library to go do your social media stuff if you potentially don't have one at home but um getting sidetracked we were talking about how it's a windy road and Mm -hmm. you know I think that I talked about being open because you talk about networking Mm -hmm. so like for me I've had I've I wasn't I've never really been a fan of networking but maybe potentially because I haven't found the correct way where I feel safe doing it because I feel like maybe all the networking things that I went to were all in spaces that I just didn't really feel comfortable in or I just didn't really feel like I belonged but I feel like the networking that I'm doing now I'm comfortable with because I'm doing it in a way that I feel safe like I'm Mm -hmm. reaching out to particular people that I want to hopefully you know create um friendships with relationships with mentorships with you know um and that just really benefit me like I don't want to just go to a networking thing where it's like you have to meet all these people because they might 
be a connection even though in the long run that's sort of what networking is but i feel yeah. like it's intimidating uh, i don't know it's scary i think yeah i think a lot of it a part of well not a lot of it but part of it is this la was specific i mean i don't know about other cities as i've only lived in la yeah. but what's what's specific in in the the rhetoric here when you get to know somebody is i feel like a lot of times they're shaping you up like what do you do for a living and then when you go to these networking events it's hyper focused on that yeah. and it becomes more of like a contest of who is the most impressive in the room and that's yeah not the type of networking that I am a huge fan of um, I'm more I think just happy that unexpected positive things have come out of the friendships that I've made and just being authentic and yeah. that's what's hard is is going to those events I mean I get kind of socially anxious when I'm around a bunch of strangers so it would be hard for me to be authentically charming and and act interested in people that I don't know anything about you I don't especially in a room where you feel if you're already feeling like you don't belong which I I get insecure about that I feel that all the time it's hard for me to turn the charm on and say like oh well I'm here to network like I just (laughs) it's a whole role and and it's just one that I'm not good at but I think that because because I've been so hyper-focused and passionate and vocal about the environment and then having that turn into I think I can actually make gardening in cities happen and my mission and where I want to go which I'm not even there yet Mm -hmm. people see that people that know me or that even it starts off as like a very shallow like oh I'm gonna follow her on Facebook or Instagram um and then there's a a lot of like you know VFs groups we were talking about this off the podcast but like you know we reach out to people and people are like yeah I want to do this I want to do that but like nothing sometimes but nothing comes of it it's just that yeah I want to do it but nothing really comes to fruition from it yeah Yeah. and I feel like uh when I would be talking about or posting articles about you know what where our environment's heading and why urban sustainability is something that I'm really passionate about and then actually started doing it and then posting my product and people are like, oh, she can make money from it? Okay, now I'm going to say something. Right. Um, yeah. And, but also not just like, like, but also being very blessed to have people say, oh, hey, I have an opportunity for that and I'm thinking, oh, Hannah pops into my head, let me give her the opportunity and that's how I was able to, or a big part of the reason why I was able to stay afloat this year. Uh, is just mainly through word of mouth, and I, that's such a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but did take you know I was in a sales role when I met most of these people, so I was getting paid to be charming. <laughs> so if anyone's listening, that like no, I I like you sincerely, but <laughs> but it started off with yeah. The, <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, that's how I guess that would that benefited me in as far as that aspect of networking. Yeah, networking is tough. Who does that? I guess a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I know. We were talking about, like, those conferences, too. Like, I think I would just be a ball of nerves. <laughs> it, would, it would be, absolutely. Yeah, and those, uh, I know that we kind of went over what to expect in, in this, our conversation here, but talking about those big conferences that are geared specifically to women, um, and Daisy and I uh, became... Associated you and I, yeah, yeah be, through a, a large online on Facebook group, and sometimes it just feels like our voices aren't heard as loudly, yeah, as other as of different demographics yeah. <laughs> to, to word it uh, delicately. 
Um, but yeah, I feel like even going to those conferences too, and, and they're just presented so well, again, on social media, back to that about how we present ourselves, I'm kind of just segueing into yeah. like another section yeah. of this, but um, yeah, like everything's wrapped up in these pretty millennial pink bows, <laughs> and you have this certain type of demographic where it feels almost like... I think I mentioned like a baby shower for a business, but almost like a, it also feels like a like a bachelorette party of networking, and that is just my biggest nightmare. <laughs> like being in a room with like everything is baby pink, and you know, it's just like that's not that's not me. Um, I wear black every day, <laughs> and, and uh, I'm like the Daria of situations <laughs> when it comes to that sometimes. So. And I just don't really feel like those things are accessible. And it's hard for me to stand behind something that is strictly designed for people that are already in positions of privilege. Because if you can afford $500 to go listen to people talk for three days, like, how how was your struggle? I'm curious, you know? And I just don't hear enough of those stories because I think that a lot of us don't want to post our failures. And I think that's something that I'd love to see change. I think being, again, authentic and real, and this isn't easy. It's not easy for, for most of us. Like we were talking about having like part-time work, going back to it, or like you, you just mentioned that you were fired. Yeah. So, so I was, I was laid off. Yeah. And so (laughs) that was the blessing. That was the biggest help. You know, I didn't have loans. I don't come from a rich family. And so that was like, okay, like I know that on weeks that I'm not getting freelance gigs at least I'm getting this assistance for a few months and that's it like and if you don't get it going the ball rolling in those in that time right then I lose you know I could lose my housing forever ruin my credit score like there's some really heavy things so you it just it, it just forces you like you know lights the fire under your ass and LA is so gig economy oriented because our housing is so expensive I mean any city is but that's a whole other thing too so then but you get this pressure and for me I feel like because there are times when work has slowed down that I'm like okay how am I what am I gonna do right now and then turning to uh, back to now it's like I almost feel like my my passion is a side hustle again I feel like a a failure and we all get in our heads about that about our our own failures and and that's a big part of acknowledging and being self-aware of your ego in my opinion um but it is I just don't I don't see enough of that and I think that if that was a conversation having or a conversation that I was seeing um, happen more often then women would be willing to vent more just like reach out to each other and this kind of more like sisterhood that is more like feels more familial versus sorority sister Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean Um, and that's why I just think like, that's what that's what's lacking in the community that I want for women is knowing that we have we have a lot going against us if you don't if you weren't already in a position of privilege and acknowledging that and it's it's a struggle and I don't think that's talked about enough so we put even extra pressure on us and stress is not good for you no and just like I want to give everybody a mental note um Hannah is, is wearing an all-black little cute little <laughs> jumper and I am wearing a really dark blue velvet it's like a royal blue baby it's super cute, by the uh, way. velvet <laughs> turtleneck um, because I still believe that it's fall somewhere even though it's like 80 <laughs> degrees out right now um 
But I, I'm, I am wearing like light green army pants, but we're both wearing dark colors <laughs> um, in a very, in sort of a dim lit room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the C-Sip way they imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and like, <clears throat> it's true. Like, you know, the capitalistic system sort of sets us up for a failure to a degree. Like, you know, I have i don't have the best credit and like even rebuilding it is like kind of a nightmare it takes years to rebuild like you have you have a credit card but you can't you have to have it you're only supposed to be using like 30 percent of your credit you can't you max it out or you know and it's just like so tricky trying to navigate like what we are on paper what potentially looks good to like renters businesses you know all all that stuff you know (laughs) and I'm still paying off my student loan from when I went to college in San Diego many years ago I'm only like two thousand dollars away from paying it off though but it's still like that's after like forbearing like a certain like a lot of you know a certain amount of time you know but it's still like I'm fucking 35 and I'm still paying off my college school loan which I think is the norm for everybody that you know has college loans or whatever but yeah. it's just it's really hard and i think that i have i have been pretty transparent so far i think on these this three podcast episodes that i have you know i you know i think the first episode i talk about how i only had a couple of dollars in the bank account cuz my money was all screwed up and um and obviously like i think because of my background I'm not gonna be like I'm just gonna allow myself to only have those two dollars in the bank I was like we just gotta go into that hustle mode like you were saying you know Mm -hmm. we just have to be like okay where can I get money how can I make money and so like I went into like you know trying to promote myself really hard as best as I can even though I could be doing more we could always be doing more I think if we sit down and think about it more to get more gigs but it's also like trying to Self-care. Self-care. Yeah, it's like trying to, like, take care of yourself. It's like, you know, it's like overexpending um, your health and your mental state and just, you know, you have to listen to your body because your body is very good at telling you, like, hey, I know that your brain, you're like, let's do it, but I feel really tired right now. Can you please give me a break, you know? Um, And we have to listen to those cues because I think we could make ourselves really ill if we just, like, work ourselves to death, you know? But um, you just have to hustle and do the best that you can with what you've got. And, like, I've been lucky enough to, to continue to get gigs. I'm not getting photo gigs as fast as I would like. Um, but you know, I'm working towards building my clientele slowly and steady. And I do have people reaching out to me like here and there about like, Hey, I want to work with you. And I'm like sick, but it's all like the nature of the photography business. I think is also when you're working with private clients that just want to do headshots, it's kind of like slow going because it takes like a couple weeks or a month to book those clients because they have their time constraints or their work schedules. And so it's not money that I'm going to get like tomorrow. It's, I have to continue to plan like in advance like I have this x amount of money in my bank account now I have to make sure this money lasts me until next month because I'm not really sure when my money flow is going to be coming Mm -hmm. in or how fast you know um but yeah I think I'm the reason I did well besides like wanting to just be more vocal about 
being a woman of color in the freelance world and in doing this podcast, I just really do want to read, reach, reach out to other individuals that might potentially be in a similar you know, position and to just reach out and like, it, it is important to talk to other people in your field or other people that might have the same experiences in this journey, because it's like, it feels good. Like we were just, we talked for about an hour before we started the podcast and just like, we were just venting. Like it was all, it was like a vent session, you know, mm-hmm. and that felt really good. And like, obviously I have my friends, but like my friends that are not in the freelance world won't necessarily agree or really understand like what my struggles are right now like they're just like oh it's cute that you're trying to do like your photography business that's dope but it's like do they really get it I don't know if they do so it's like really for me I feel really good about having an opportunity to talk to another woman another woman of color who is just like yeah I totally get that I totally hear that so thank you just (laughs) (laughs) um so thank you for talking to me um let's see do you have a mentor? I don't know. We haven't really... I know that I didn't get to ask you that. No, I don't. Yeah. Dang, you're doing this all alone. I am. Yeah. It was... I mean, let's be honest. What, I, what I'm setting out to do is very niche. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's not a huge group of people that are building vertical green walls. Um, it became super specific. Uh, there's definitely two influential humans that I watched and was like okay they're doing it and they're they're doing something um and those people it are satoshi kawamoto who owns green fingers he's in japan and he was definitely the art side of it for me the aesthetic um you know studying design and Uh, being really into interior design and also visual merchandising that's how he started off so he calls himself a plant artist and he does a lot of visual merchandising and uh, retail will hire him or events and I think he I think he also does like florals that's not for me I'm not a flower flowery kind of girl (laughs) so but he he also does like weddings and stuff like that but I will say for his uh you know his artistry and choosing plants and the fact that he lives in Tokyo and then was able to open up a shop in New York City automatically tells me that there's enough people believing in him to where he can afford mm-hmm. rent in both Tokyo and Manhattan. So, Well, very expensive. Yes, absolutely. So shout out to him for, for kind of being an example as far as combining plants with aesthetic, which is two weird things to combine, but um, I don't know. To me, they make sense. And then a local hero of mine is Ron Finley. I did have the pleasure of meeting him. Uh, he has been really uh, awesome and friendly, and we've had a, a couple conversations. We're connected through social media as well, so sometimes we'll converse through that. But he's extremely busy. He travels. He has. Uh, he you should check out his TED talk. He calls himself a gangster gardener, and he is definitely. Uh, where the what is the word I'm oh gosh I'm gonna be at a loss for a word right now but he is I mean he's really just a hero because his mission for why he has is is about urban gardening because I'm combining the two you know I want people to have nature in cities I've always been environmentalist but at the same time I'm a I'm a city girl like through and through I've lived in downtown LA for over a decade raised here I love it um, but I do feel that there's a disconnect when you live in the city to nature 
and he really brought attention to food deserts. So he he's in South Central, and low-income families don't have access to organic food, and you have more uh, corner shops, liquor stores, than there are even a grocery store. Um, there's, I mean, fast food anywhere you can find in low-income neighborhoods. And so for him to be really vocal about that and grow edible plants, fruits and vegetables all over his property and encourages people to walk by and pick from them is just something that is so moving and motivational um, to, to pivot how my company kind of started. I started growing uh, my own vegetables and fruits and veggies because I got sick and got like hyper-focused on, on what I'm putting into my body. So... I have uh, a rare cancer, which is which is pretty mild. I'm very very lucky about that. Um, but I I think that the reason why so many of us get sick at a young age, um, or just sick in general, is what we put into our body and what we eat, and not really understanding that how we're all pushed to work as much as we can. You know, even you were just saying that like, oh, there's more I could be doing. We all have that mentality. <laughs> and so we're always like, go, 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 go. So do you have time to like, what are you eating? What do you, you know, and there's things that are just packaged that are just, they're meant for things on the go, but they're, they're not actually, it's not even food. It's like food products. And right. so have we really understood the long-term effects when that really just kind of hit um, our market in the seventies? Like that's too soon. That's, that's our, I mean, our parents were right. you know we were some of us were born in the 70s like so so that it, it just don't for me that's when I got really obsessed about it and then when I realized that like hey there are people out there kind of doing what I'm doing like Ron Finley is is doing it for all the right reasons and not saying that aesthetic and art is wrong but it's obviously the shallow end of it mm-hmm. um but combining those two of my passions is how heavy pedal uh, came to life and so those two I look up to a lot they're both very busy, um, and uh, the only other people that I see doing green walls. Uh, there's two companies in California, both in the Bay Area, um, and just uh, I I don't know, I kind of I I tend to be drawn to more people of color, um, so that's why I like Satoshi and Ron. Uh, the other two companies, they're just they just seem very like corporate. Like all of their photos on their website looks like very like. LinkedIn, they don't really have a story behind it. Mm-hmm. And I, I love attaching a story. Maybe that's kind of like our generation too. We're very, we're very much like storytellers. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's part of also having just a, a platform, our social media, to tell our story. Like I'm telling my story now on this podcast. Uh, but without that, I, I, it's hard to like feel a human connection with things. And I think that's, that's, that is important to me. So no mentor, just kind of winging it. And it's hard, but I have a lot of friends and people that have their own businesses that at least can share the same struggles with Mm -hmm. freelancing. Like you mentioned, you know, being, uh, having us chat and realizing like, okay, I can relate to this person or I get it because it's, it's completely different. And it was a culture shock to me when, when a paycheck didn't automatically drop into my account every two weeks, (laughs) I was like, what is this life? Or, you know, like you're net 30 and like a client doesn't pay in time. Yeah. And you just, people are thinking like, oh, okay, I'm not going to pay this person on time. It's not a big deal. Like what they did was oh, they just put some, they just put some plants on things. And I'm like, no, 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 I, that's my housing. And then I have to eat. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's a completely different ball game. And I think at least I am able to share 
that with people that have their own businesses that are more successful in theirs like what you know what are they doing and and how do you reach out to get more clients because that's been an adjustment too Mm -hmm. I work was falling into my lap at first and so of course you love to say things like and when I say you I mean people in general or me but uh, like, oh, it's the universe, and, and this is just, you know, this is working out the way it should because things are just falling into my lap. And then comes that moment where it stops falling into your lap. And what does that mean? That you run away from it or the universe is telling you no? Like, that's no, that's not accurate. <laughs> you have to hustle, and you have to put yourself out there, and that was that was my biggest adjustment. But I know if there's other people doing it. They might not be doing green walls, but uh, there's there's a community out there. You just have to find it, and you have to wade through a lot of BS and people that are flaky because, listen, we're all busy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all trying to survive in an expensive city, so I get it. But at the same time, like it's just really refreshing to find authentic people that uh, are understanding and can feel empathy with what you're going through. And it, it, it... all right, so we got I got a phone call from like a telemarketer or something. So, um. Hannah was talking about mentoring, and I don't remember exactly where she... Oh, she was talking about how... Um, Relating to people that that have their own businesses, but yeah. maybe not the same niche. Right, right, and, right. And then at least, you know, you can... Just looking, I guess, at these mentors that are kind of unavail- or not available. Um, unavailable is a word. Um, <laughs> but at least just looking to them knowing that other people have done it before you is nice to know um but even if not like navigating my own taxes i think that's a whole thing like the administrative side of it and um just resources like that i i i've i've reached out actually in in groups of being like hey do people want to come hang out and we'll print all of our documents together and just have like an admin like powwow and that's just nice to kind of sit next to people too Right. Oh, you know, it's funny. That's actually probably one of my biggest challenges is the fact that I'm working for yourself is lonely. Like, yeah. I'm yeah. definitely an extrovert, outgoing person. And so when I transitioned, it, you can get in your head about, like, especially if you're not working as much as you're used to, uh, getting in your head with all sorts of, of thoughts and everything and self, sometimes self-doubt, but just really just loneliness too. So it is, it is nice to just reach out, even to strangers too, like, um, and saying like, hey, I'm going through this. Can you relate to me? Maybe let's hang out. And it's, it's worked out nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, right. Like I've spent a lot of time on the computer because I have to like go through editing pictures and sometimes I'll spend like a couple of days just on the computer not really interacting with anybody just trying to get like my edits done or looking through and sometimes I'm like I don't even go outside you know I don't have a dog or anything that I can just like forces me to go take him on a walk but like I have a cat she doesn't care she wants to hang out with me all day so she's like she doesn't remind me that I need to go outside and look at the sun or something so I can totally yeah I'm like I've never felt the loneliest that I have in this past couple of months because I'm just like so hyper focused on trying to get my shit done mm-hmm. and like everybody else you know is doing their own thing too but I'm just like I need to do this I need to do that I need to edit these pictures or like I don't want I don't feel like spending money on this thing you know so it's like it's interesting and how are you how are you coping with that besides reaching out to strangers yeah I, uh, I think that I think that I'm dealing with it by just adjusting to it, really. I mean, I've been working 
almost full time since I was 15, including mm-hmm. going to school too. So uh, that it, it's just an adjustment when half my life has been in the workforce when I have a team or I'm, I'm working for someone else. And so it's just, it's been, I think the biggest adjustment has been um, actually even kind of pushing myself to being more comfortable alone and with myself. I think that I'm a pretty self-aware person, which is a huge blessing and advantage of just navigating life is when you know like who you are and what you're not. But sometimes I would really compare myself. That's still something, a habit. And that's the biggest one that I had to kick was comparing myself to other people. And that was through the gaze of Instagram. And so I would spend a lot of time seeing what my friends were doing, seeing that they're out, seeing their fun. And it was a, it was a big adjustment because, uh, you know, having a paycheck go into my account every two weeks for a, at a great corporate salary and then doing something on my own was a huge pay cut for me, huge pay cut. So it's a whole lifestyle change. So I figure, look, like there's so many things changing for me right now. I'm by myself and... Uh, the brokest I've ever been <laughs> and like that is that's really hard and so I would just spend a lot of time looking at people's stories which we're always constantly updating and curating our lives and making it seem like we're all having the best time ever and I wasn't because I was adjusting and I would get in my head about that but yeah. uh, this quote that I absolutely love is just that comparison is a thief of happiness and I to me it just rings true because mm-hmm. I'm sitting here comparing myself like, I want to hang out with those people. I want to do what they're doing. I want to travel. Or you see influencers, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it just looks so easy because it's just you're, just you're scrolling with your thumb and you just scroll through like these beautiful images, these beautiful humans, and they're all doing their own thing and it looks great. And, and then you sit there and you're like, well, why is my life not as beautiful as that? And why am I sitting here by myself when I could be at that cool dance right. party on the Sunday afternoon? Like, no, I have work to do. And also, if I'm not working, that means I'm not making money. And so I have to, like you talked about budgeting. Mm -hmm. That was something that I had to learn. So it's been, it's been probably the biggest growing year for me is the working this year because adjusting to like, okay, if clients don't pay on time, that means I have to stretch this month to the next month too. And that changes everything. Like, uh, this is definitely first world problems, but I... I have to remind like a few of my friends. I'm like, hey, I still love you, but yeah, we're not going to Babel anytime soon, and we're not gonna <laughs> like, I'm not gonna be able to go to all the concerts I want to go to, and um, that <laughs> it's like definitely a first world problem, and I'm really lucky that that's that's one of my saddest issues right now. Um, is just like not being able to have as much fun, but valuing your time and how you spend it, I think was the biggest lesson that I learned from, I ended up deleting Instagram is what I should really get to, is that I ended up deleting my personal one. I still have mine for my business, but using that app about screen time and knowing how much time you're wasting and being productive as a business mm-hmm. owner, um, you know, I, I downloaded an app to kind of schedule things for me and now I'm like, okay, cool, like half hour max um, for every like three days, like 10 minutes a day, basically. Cause I'm going to, well, I mean, I, I guess I source like photos or I take my own photos and, and, and work up with that and then just plan it. Um, but my business one's not as busy as my personal one was. And I just realized like, that's where my time needs to be shifted. I'm, I'm not 
an influencer in that realm or anything. So like my life's also not that exciting. So why am I spending that much time trying to broadcast like it is? Um, my business is what needs to be thriving right now. It needs mm-hmm. to be, and, and if I, I want it to be something I'm really proud of. So I wanted to just shift focus and, and that's the main thing is just, just dealing with being lonely and stop comparing yourself to other people. I think that's like the easiest thing we can do or the easiest thing that we fall into because we're just like naturally, especially living in a city like Los Angeles or potentially like New York, you know, or like London. It's just, we just see all these fashion, you know, all these like ads all around us all the time. We're just like getting brainwashed through all of these outlets and we just naturally compare ourselves to what we're seeing all the time so I think it's something that um, if we don't pay attention to we're just like driving ourselves crazy or making ourselves more anxious or making ourselves more depressed because we don't fit these like molds that like you know the advertisements are showing us Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um and that's something that I think that I have I've been learning to do too. I have my like my 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 photography Instagram and um and I've been trying to just like not go on it a lot, you know, just go on it when I'm like have new work to share or when I'm going to do like whatever photography related things, but I find that I I do because I I don't like you were telling me before we started the podcast like how sometimes you just use the the internet to see to feel more connected to what's going on outside of your little bubble because like you haven't you've been working or you've just been busy you haven't been able to like see your friends you're like what's everybody up to but I think that what sucks about social media is that it's created this detachment you know we don't really make an effort like we used to to like to connect with our friends in person Mm -hmm. because we just rely on social media a lot to just give us the updates on like you know, I have a friend who I don't see ever, and he only ever texts me when he notices something interesting, whatever he wants to know or whatever he saw on the internet. He'll text me like, oh, I saw that you bought a camera or like, I don't know, whatever. And I'm like, you're, and I always tell him you are so weird and random. He texts <laughs> me like every six months and I never see him, but he'll text me when, it, when he, when I post something on social media that like he finds interesting mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, bro. <laughs> I mean, I love him, but it's like, he's with his partner. Um, but I don't know. It's just really interesting. Um, so I think it's important to just try not compare ourselves to, I think that because of this like social media anxiety that we are learning you know especially with, with like I don't know what it's like for teenagers but I, I know that it has to be stressful for them as well <laughs> with yeah. the social media stuff oh, yeah. and they're and they're and Facebook didn't know what they were the monster that they were making when they created this you know networking um, site and I think because of that they also are developing or there's other people trying to to develop these like unlearning behaviors you know like rules about like you know how much social media time people kids should have at school or if they should have their phones and and all this other stuff but I don't know it's like I love social media but I also hate it <laughs> yeah I love I hate relationship too um yeah I don't know I try I try to be mindful of it, and I think that I always do feel better when I'm not on it as much. Like, I think I feel more anxious and maybe even depressed when I'm on it a lot because I'm just seeing what everybody else is up to, and sometimes I'm not doing much, or I'm just, like, 
hyper focus on like my shit, you know. Um, so I just try not to to be on it too much because it's I don't feel like it's healthy for me mm-hmm. personally. Um, um, and then that I think we're gonna go off about like so you're the brokest you've ever been, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and and like you, this is like you with your full time business, mm-hmm. you know, heavy pedal. Um, in your mind, is this what being happy is? Ooh, that's that's such a good question. Um, okay, so it's it's a complicated answer, <laughs> yeah. but it's such a great question. Uh, okay, so being broke is not fun by any means, yeah. right? Um, so it's hard to say yes, I'm so happy, and look at you with a straight face and be authentic <laughs> and say like, because I definitely don't enjoy being broke. Stressful. Or exactly, it's it's ex- that's what it is. It's the stress that comes with that. Um, However, I will say that it has taught me what is important and what to value in life, and and uh, which is my time too. Like mm-hmm. thinking about how you can work for someone else, and it's almost like you work harder for someone. Else. It's like okay, let me let me back up. It's I think that I was almost trained to think that if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing that I should be getting paid for it. Right. And that's what work is, is you're getting a paycheck for doing something you don't want to do for eight hours. So I think it's something that a lot of freelancers struggle with too when they are able to pursue their passion is, you know, there's that quote, we've all read it somewhere, like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> and it's recently, I think I saw some, it was like a funny screenshot meme, whatever, and someone had crossed that last part out and it was like do what you love and you'll undervalue yourself and be the most stressed you'll ever be (laughs) and I think that that is such a true statement especially for beginners Mm -hmm. um so it's it's been funny to see how how uh I valued myself at first because I did have this leg up where I knew I was working for the corporation that was hiring me so the company that I used to work for was my first big client but that meant that I got to kind of peek my head on the other side of the curtain mm-hmm. and see their budget. And you don't get to do that with clients. So because I knew how much their budget was, I threw out a number that was like a little bit shy of it to make sure that they went with me instead of a different vendor mm-hmm. that might be higher. Um, and that was, I didn't know what I was doing, so I was spending more time. And so I was taking my hours into consideration when you value yourself and, and are paying yourself. And then now that it's become so niche and I can do these installs by myself now, I used to have like someone to do all my measurements for me, another person to do the install, and I would just kind of plant things, put all the plants in and do the plant knowledge. But now that I'm more hands-on and with all the tools that I can, I, I can do the installs myself, I'm realizing they're going so much faster. So now my, if I'm trying to be fair and consistent with how much time I spend on it, I notice that my quotes now are even like, I was like, wait a minute, I can't ask for something lower than I initially was able to achieve. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a learning lesson, but I think that kind of uh, wandered away from that question and uh, circling back to it, again, with these windy roads, right? <laughs> um, uh, am I happy? And that's, and that's, the answer is yes. Um, it's, it's a struggle, but it's a struggle that's mine, and mm-hmm. I own it, mm-hmm. and I'm proud of it. And it's, it's something that you that you're responsible for so your failures you're responsible for them and one thing that I do uh, 
that I didn't read, but I just decided to do it. But it was like after each install or phone call or anything, you know, we're already, we're already really good at being our own worst enemy. So I almost always have a little notebook on me. And after, after installs, I would immediately write down what I could have done better, Mm -hmm. what I didn't like about that, that particular job. What could I improve on? What tools did I need that I wish I had on hand? Sometimes I'm also just really forgetful and I'll leave my apartment with something without something. Mm -hmm. And writing those things down and reviewing that like this little book of failures has been so astronomical to my growth because personal growth because you see these things you're like let me learn from my mistakes and not make them ever again and I think you can apply that to a lot of things Mm -hmm. too like talking about Instagram and having this this app that tells you hey you've been wasting this much time and it puts it in your face I'm like that's a mistake I've been making I've been wasting so much time comparing myself to other people instead of investing that time in myself that once you take note of that and you learn from it, you're like, I promise myself I'm never going to make that mistake again. It's just been, it's just so much personal growth. So at the end of the day, yeah, I'm broke, but I own it. <laughs> and and it's, it, I'm just so proud that I'm able to do something that is worth what I feel like is a legacy. Because I, I really value my time here on earth. And I think that if we all just, took a second and it shouldn't take anyone getting sick to really have this kind of moment this aha moment in their life but if we all wanted to do something that was something that for bigger than just ourselves and not so self-serving that this world would be a better place and Mm I didn't want to know that my entire time here was in this safe job making other people money that but also like I'm not really doing anything for the for the good of the planet or people and so I really love that urban sustainability and the environment is something that is so, so, so dear to me and, um, and health and just people of, and color being biracial and seeing how different culturally, socioeconomically, the spectrum that I was raised on, uh, that if I can help lift, cause I was, I was also very privileged. Absolutely. And I'm not going to deny that for a second, but if I can take that privilege and help someone else out and, uh, get someone else to pursue their dreams because and kind of untrain their brain that they might not be able to do it because we've all been mm-hmm. visually conditioned to to think that life is going to be harder for us and struggle um and if i can do anything that i can if i have the time simple time or just words of encouragement sometimes that's all it really takes too is words of encouragement mm-hmm. and if we do that for each other i just think that the world will be a better place and i mean i think that most millennials kind of well, I don't know most millennials, so actually I hate speaking on behalf of most groups of anything. <laughs> I'd like to think that uh, because a lot of our generation is doomed because of, you know, just the way we are to the planet and the way things are, that we want to do something for the greater good. And that's why you see all these communities popping up of how to uplift each other. Uh, it's just, you know, just trying to stay authentic and go about it the right way and staying aligned to your core values and keeping an eye on that and, and really just staying true to yourself and make sure that that you're happy because at the end of the day you really got to look out for yourself no one no one else is Um, but if you have that extra time to look out for someone else too like that's always great for karma points um yeah I think that for me I think that I am the most happiest that I've been to in a long time and it's interesting because you know when you read books and and um and when just culture just like American culture tells you 
or defines what happiness can potentially look like for you and it's like really not like that at all right Mm -hmm. it's like we're struggling we're trying to make um our careers successful we're just doing the best that we can and it's kind of beautiful in a way that this is what happiness is to you and this is what happiness is to me right like I'm really happy that I'm here and I'm feeling really thankful for sharing this space with Hannah today you know just like little things like that just like talking about things that really are important to me and that I value and I feel like for me community is really important I don't think that they teach that if I'm remembering correctly what it was like to be like a kid in elementary school mm-hmm. or even high school, like it's important to stay involved in your community in some mm-hmm. way. Um, and thank goodness for me that I've been able to learn that through LA Zine Fest um, and just like trying to keep giving back in a way, I don't know. And I feel like that gives me so much joy and it fulfills so much that I never even knew that I, that I, something that I never even knew was missing in my life and my, in my person. And, um, and I think that's amazing. Like, I'm just like stoked on life and yeah, I'm broke most of the time. And sometimes (laughs) I can buy myself a coffee and sometimes I can't, sometimes I can go out to dinner. Sometimes I can't. Um, but, uh, it's like pretty cool. And I wanted to actually go back when you were talking about your mentors, I just wanted to comment Mm -hmm. that, both of them are men. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was a bummer. And <laughs> mostly because I wanted to comment on that because I'm like, how is it that there isn't at least one woman out there that's also as successful potentially as these other two men? Or maybe that's what that's going to be you in a few I years. I think that's why. It's because <laughs> it's, it's going to be me. <laughs> um, I mean, there's definitely women out there that incorporate plants into their life. Um, and, I mean, look at the floral industry. You know, All women. Right? Yeah. That is a really female-dominated uh, industry. But I just don't, I don't work with florals. So mm-hmm. it is a weird little niche. So I get that I kind of pivot away from that. But... Um, I really, it is, urban sustainability is what's important. It's like the environment. And and even Satoshi, who I love his style, he looked like, and his Instagram is great, by the way, because he's also like, here's plants, but also here's my men's fashion. And he's such a babe. But um, <laughs> but with with Ron, like just so mission driven and... Yeah, I really wish I saw more of that. There's def- I, I had there's women in my life, like Jane Goodall is an amazing. Uh, she was um, scientist, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean she worked with apes, but she really cared about the environment yeah. and chimpanzees and everything. So there's definitely environmentalists that are women that exist. But as far as it's super niche, so it is already hard. And then, yeah, hopefully I'll be, I'll be the, the woman to, for younger people to look up to. <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> it's motivating. Hey, man, I see it. Let's manifest it, right? Yeah. Let's try and make that happen. Yeah. Um, and I know that you touched on this a little bit before, but, like, you... For me, this is, again, like, we keep going back to this, like, how we feel, like, the need for authenticity, we feel the need for connection, and the creative community in Los Angeles um, for women, 
I feel doesn't have enough visibility for women of color. Like, there's a lot of groups on the internet, and um, I'm just like, where are the women of color? And even then, like, sometimes it's really hard to find women of color to meet up with to talk about these things, you know? So for me, I just wish that, which is why I'm, like, trying to, instead of just one continuing to wonder where where are these women I'm like trying to be proactive about finding them because like I'm doing this podcast for myself but also in hopes of like branching out and reaching out other incredible women of color and um and and for me that's what's missing like I just want to be able to have like more face-to-face interactions with these incredible people that I know exist here in Los Angeles because LA is very, very diverse. But for whatever reason, the visibility for us women of color just isn't there. Have any comments on that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert on that topic, uh, but I do hear you and feel you so much mm-hmm. on that. Um, so yeah, even I mean, the way that we came to meet each other was through a group mm-hmm. that is dominantly white. Uh, it's twenty six thousand women in this in a Facebook group of creative women in Los Angeles, and the majority of them are white. And so, is there this layer that we need to discuss also about access to technology because of income levels? You know, I think that a uh, socioeconomical uh, socioeconomic spectrum is something to consider when we don't see that representation of women of color as present Mm -hmm. in these settings um and maybe they're just working a lot more I don't know I don't know where they are but if you like but but like I want to find them (laughs) um there there are some communities and it's it's just so yeah they're just so much smaller like there is there is a women of colors group off of the main one that we met and I'm a member of this other one that's where we really just discuss we have a we have an amazing discourse in it and I'm gonna have to add you (laughs) because we hold each other accountable and I think that there is this layer when you're a person of color that you get called out more Mm -hmm. and you're held accountable a little bit more right Mm -hmm. and if you get disagreed with you don't you're not as quick to say that you're being harassed or bullied. I'm just going to be honest and out there about it, uh, where I feel like it's not the case. I mean, look at even just the way that the permit the permit patties, you know, the barbecue Becky, those examples, right, of like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and point fingers at you, and then when you turn around and, and call me out for my behavior, I'm being attacked, I'm being followed, harassed, and that victimhood is just not as abundant in our communities as it is in the other ones. And so what I love about the about the small community that I did find was that we hold each other accountable and we are able to discourse and we can disagree with each other. And I feel like when you really bring up the topic of white women and privilege and you talk about white privilege, those words are so become so emotionally charged because of the fact that our country is so divisive right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been an activist. I mean, my parents are activists, and it's just the way that I was raised. Like, I'm not going to take full credit. It's definitely their influence. Um, but I was emotionally exhausted after 2016 and 17. This year, I really took a step back off my soapbox and also just moderating that group of 26,000 women and knowing that I was there in a role to kind of 
uplift voices of women of color, it is exhausting and it's ridiculous sometimes because it's, I just wish that, and I'm, I'm half white. My mother is blonde hair, blue eyed. I was raised in Wessex Village and like went to Cabo every summer. Like I had an amazing privileged life, but I can also be aware that that these privileges are not experienced by people that aren't white because I might have had this, but I'm not white passing. So I don't consider myself a white person because when I was raised in Westlake Village, I definitely wasn't white to them, right. you know? So I can say like, hey, like I'm, I'm white all I want, but I'm not because right. they, it's just, you're just not accepted. If you don't look white, you're not white. Right. And so it's just, it, it's accepting of your community. And, and, and I feel like, I, I mean, I'm just, yeah, I'm just gonna say it. Like I feel like white girls are encouraged in, in a safe space among their peers. It's not easy for women. We're an oppressed, marginalized group. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you are safe in any space. And, uh, but, and if you didn't, if you grew up poor, if you were teased at some point, that does not cancel out your privilege. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's just not enough acknowledgement of that in uplifting. And I don't mean to still come off of on this topic of divisiveness. Uh, because I don't want it to be divisive. And that's why I wanted to be a part of the community that we met each other in because I did want people to unite. But it is hard because it's you're asking someone to kind of check themselves and they feel attacked instead of like, hey, I'm calling you, I'm calling you in. Maybe we just need to change our rhetoric too. Like I'm calling you in instead of like calling you out. Like I'm not trying to push these people away, but like let's call your behavior in. Acknowledge it and let's work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to college, I retook all of my history classes from a black perspective, Chicano studies. Like, I was very, I wanted to look at things through a cultural lens again. Mm-hmm. Not again, my, sorry, my first time. Yeah. So, and that really shifted things for me. But I mean, that's not a, a common desire right. for people. So, uh, I don't, you know, just when we take a second to walk a mile in other people's shoes or try to at least feel some empathy and and understand what they're going through from their perspective is the very least you can do. And just knowing when to be quiet is a major thing. And I have to be quiet a lot of times because I don't, you know, I haven't, I've I've had a lot of of privilege and, and advantages in my life too. So when someone's gonna tell me like what I, you know, that I don't know, Absolutely. Like, I'm never going to know what it's like to be a black woman. And right. so I'm not going to be in a position like, well, you need to. I'm not going to do that. Right. And I just think that, that's, that, that those are opportunities for people to kind of just be quiet and just let other people speak. So when we don't, but I think that the voices of women of color don't feel that. Their voices are welcome. That's why you can't hear them. So you can't see them. And that's why we have this issue right. of not feeling like we're like, where is this diversity that the city is supposed to have? It's right. just like, how is it so easy for like, like even in our group, you know, it's like our posts can kind of fall to the bottom. Right. And it's, it's a weird phenomena that, I, that still happens, <laughs> but it absolutely does. It absolutely does. So it's disappointing and I hope that that changes and it's going to take voices like ours to get out there and, uh, you know, I just hope that more people jump on the bandwagon and I hope that there's so much success to this podcast and have more women of color on here to talk and and, and white girls too. I'm all for it. Like, right. you know, to hear everyone's perspective and all of us be called in and community because we definitely as women don't need to be pitted against each other. Right. 
uh, we need to encourage each other. But that needs to be like intersectional to the you know it, it, the people need to understand what intersectionality. I don't. What would that word be? Intersectionality. Yeah, I just said it really weird. Intersectionality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, knows what knows what that is. So you know, that's, those are my thoughts, my rambling thoughts. I mean, that's fine. I mean, I think that. <laughs> You know, I recently read somewhere that the term intersectional, intersectional, see, now I said it weird, intersectional <laughs> is a word, it's a term that was, um, that is typically only meant, or at least we should acknowledge the fact that that word came from the black community, because it was really meant to represent them, Okay. you know? Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting because I feel like we're always learning, right? Like we're oh, always yeah. learning like where the roots because like some through everything through all the appropriation <laughs> that goes on with terms, with history, even with history, you know, history only seems to be acknowledged in certain pieces instead of its totality, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so like I just learned that the other day and I was like, Whoa, that's crazy. I never would have even like thought that that term was meant specifically for the black community. And um but it but anyway, I just thought of that. But like, um, I was going to talk about something. There was one last question that, while you were speaking, um, was in my mind. Oh, I, I, you know, so like, for me, I feel like also, um, I mentioned earlier off the podcast how like a lot of the times I feel like I don't deserve success like I feel like Mm -hmm. I don't deserve Mm -hmm. money because I have like just the way that I was brought up it's just like in my family and um in our specific culture it's just like my parents have always worked and I also can relate with um I haven't worked since I was 15 but like when I was 18 as soon as I got out went off graduated high school and went to San Diego for college I've always 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 had two jobs three jobs at one point I think I had like I don't know why I had three jobs that was crazy but like I had a full-time job and like two part-time jobs that's that's probably why I had three jobs because the two part-time jobs were really just one part-time job you know what I like they just give you like little bits of Mm -hmm. a few hours here and there but like I've always worked my whole life too um so I think that I'm commenting on because I feel like a part of the problem with the and potentially with the visibility of women is uh, of women of color is because you know they don't feel like they deserve to be visible potentially mm-hmm. that can also maybe be like a thing that's going on like I know that sometimes it's hard for me you know to ask for help to reach out to do these things and it's all just behavior that we have to unlearn right because like I've been told this potentially in my whole life like I think for me when my parents were always working like I didn't really have my mom was never really around for me to like and then I grew up with a bunch of brothers you know a bunch of like Latin brothers who like their job isn't for them to listen to me Mm -hmm. talk about school or like how what if I was being picked on or like my woman my girl troubles like even now like I live with my brother now who's like he's older than me and whenever I'm like um, on my period, he's like too much information. I'm like, oh, well, you're a grown ass man. You should be okay. You should be comfortable with that word. Yeah. Like, you know, like what ha- you know what happens when you get married? You know, oh you're gosh. gonna. That's just something you're gonna have to deal with. Like, yeah. in in a much more crass way than me just saying I'm on my period. Like, yeah. you know, and um and even like things of that nature. So I feel like for me, it's been a a lot of 
undigging that I've had to do in the past couple years since I've been going to therapy because I'm just like learning that it's okay for me to deserve success, money, you know, for me to deserve all these things when I, when for pretty much a lot of the, my life, I felt like I've never, like I felt really uncomfortable with deserving of these things and potentially even making myself become more visible in certain communities, you know, and like even um, with LA Zine Fest, like I know LA Zine Fest is pretty successful, what I think in, in the people describe it, and I mean in the community as like a successful Zine Fest, and like some people know who the people are behind it, but a lot of people don't. They just know mm-hmm. that there's these people, and they know our names, but they don't know what we look like, you mm-hmm. know? But even in, with organizing LA Zine Fest, like we're not, we, we don't like to attach ourselves with LA because but I think that's also a part of like we want this to remain a community organization and it's not really necessary for you guys to know what our faces look like because that's not the point of us putting this together we don't want you guys to know it's not important for you to recognize us as someone who puts LA Zines together we're just we just put the moving parts together and that's it you know and um so it's been I was thinking about how if you felt that way because I know that it's taken me a lot for me to feel like I deserve all these things that I'm trying to work on getting now but do you have you ever felt like you don't deserve your success your money like all these things just as a result of like you know being biracial even like you know when you said you would get picked on or whatever because of like your skin color and Mm -hmm. like not looking as white as you should be Mm -hmm. um yes and no so I as someone who's half Filipino, did I see a lot of, like, young Filipino entrepreneurs? No, you know, but I don't really identify as Filipino either, because uh, I, in my experience living in Southern California, I, I am confused for being Latina the most, so I would say that I have existed as someone who is Latina passing. I might not even agree with it because I feel like I just, I'm ethnically ambiguous for sure. Like I get all kinds of guesses, but um, I don't identify as white and I don't look at Filipino. So it was kind of this weird existence where I just am. Mm -hmm. I am what I am, right? Um, But... I did do a lot of research in my undergrad about representation, and I know we spoke about this a bit, but I think that these are little seeds that are planted about representation, and we don't really understand being educated in the states of how these these little tiny images in our um, posters that were that are used in classrooms, all of the textbooks that we use, uh, images. And I wish that I had my my studies and my findings in front of me, but I don't. But just the visibility of people of color in successful positions Mm -hmm. is a rare occurrence in the very beginning of when we start to learn. So if you think about that, when you are going to school and you're seeing you're learning about like the setting of California, let's say you just I'm familiar with our school systems here. Uh, there's a lot of transplants, so I get that it's not everyone's experience. Yeah. But we do a lot about the history of um, 
of California and how Eurocentric that is. So a huge Native American community, and, we, and that's a shade of skin that, that does look like a lot of brown people, Mexicans. This was Mexico, you know, mm-hmm. so let's be honest about that. Like, <laughs> but, you know, in fourth grade, we learn about missions, and we see that even just from the very bare minimum, like, oh, this cleansing of Christianity came in and this manifest destiny and it's like you're not even really talking about it in this light where it was a really dark thing that happened I mean slaughtered murdered if you did not convert to Christianity and if um and then just you know you're constantly being fed this narrative I mean there's these stereotypes of what we fall into as far as our ethnic backgrounds in the media and so all of these little tiny seeds are planted and this was what I was super passionate about so I'm probably gonna go on for a little bit longer than I should <laughs> but um I get really upset about it. it but it's just that's why representation is so damn important and in our media sure that's a big conversation we're having now our films you know if mm-hmm. that they're being appreciated by by uh, people of color but really, like, I want to see change in our textbooks. I want our classrooms to become de- decolonized. It really bothers me because I used to work for, or I used to volunteer for a group called La Causa, um, and that was for when I went attended Cal State LA. And one of my students was pushed out of high school, and his name was Miguel. He came with me to college courses because uh, I wanted him to enroll and you can because you can look if you look into these programs if you have access to sit at the computer and realize that there's all these these benefits that you can take advantage of it's just not made common knowledge Mm -hmm. right and it took my mom who is a sweetheart she works with she works with um continuation high school students so at risk and she went with me to my first college course when I was 14 so I'm very lucky and that's something that most people don't have is um, you know I had a single mom that was like hey education is important and I'm going to go with you to your first college course at 14 Mm -hmm. and show you that it's not scary and that you can get college educated you know and so I did the same thing for uh for I was kind of like a kind of like a big brother big sister vibe right Mm -hmm and took him to college course and he was explained to me his experience again something i'm never going to experience you know he's a dark skinned mexican man i'll never know what that's like and he just he came from a family that chose well and i'm not going to use the word choose because it's not a choice but came from a gang background mm-hmm. and with, told me that he was just destined to be in a gang and that uh that he left high school and and then came back and uh, to La Causa to finish his diploma and learn skills. And then when we started going to this college course together, uh, he was just, he said something that really moved me just about how he didn't think that that was something that was available to him. And going with someone who believed in him um, wasn't something that that he thought he'd experience and like I, I don't even like talking about it because I feel like I fall under that category of like white savior complex which is a whole thing that can be googled you know yeah. Uh, yeah. but I don't you know I don't like talking about it but I will say that he influenced me so much because he was just so such an amazing bright young man and it also it just taught me that without representation and without encouragement 
that you, yeah, you feel like you're undeserving and living life thinking that you're undeserving of things is such a roadblock that is an obstacle that's hard for you to get over. Mm -hmm. And that is one thing that, um, yeah, I might not identify or look like a lot of people that have succeeded, but I had words of encouragement from my mom who did always have encouragement and came from money and, um, you know, it stopped at my generation, but that didn't mean I didn't benefit from her. Mm -hmm. Um, but she, yeah, I mean, she, I'm so glad that she has students and that she also teaches them that cause she just, I mean, bless her heart. She really just sees the world through like, what's that, what's that phrase? Like rose colored lenses. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, because of her existence, but she really believes it. And she's just bit like, just naive almost, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, she, she encouraged me. She was like, Hey, you look different but that doesn't mean you are different and not everybody has that. So that was, that was my step up. And that is probably the biggest privilege that I've had raised is I had a mom that was present and she encouraged me through everything. So, right. Yeah. My mom, um, you know, my, both of my parents are from Mexico and my mom, I don't, she didn't finish junior high because her, my grandmother, um, may she rest in peace. She's been, gone for for a while now but she had a lot of kids she had like 10 kids or Mm -hmm. something so my mom had to stop working at a very young age to help support all of the children in the family and so I think that that mindset of just having to work for so long just didn't really give her the opportunity to nourish her kids us kids of hers in a way that um that was like I mean, she was encouraging. She was definitely like, do whatever you, but more than like, do whatever you want. Not like, I believe in you. It's like, you know, whatever you do, you're going to be great. But it's like, but I don't know. You know, it's like, yeah. you need some guidance. Oh, yeah. And um, and I think that, I don't think it was my mom's fault. Or, and I don't think she, she raised me to be like a terrible kid. But I think that because of the culture, you know, of just like having, and there were a lot of us kids too. So like both of my parents were always working because they were eight of us you know so like they both had to work you know they're like minimum wage jobs to sustain eight kids oh, you know yeah. so there it wasn't like there just wasn't time that I can remember it's like whenever she was home she was tired and like we would have to help her cook or clean and do all these things so like I unfortunately did not have the privilege of having someone to like oh you should try these art classes at a young age or you should try these sports or you should try these computer things just to see if there's something else that you really love besides like being in school and so um there just wasn't time for that and it's not unfortunate it's just the way that I was brought up you Mm -hmm. know so I feel like unintentionally I I have I learned, I grew up with, like, I'm not sure if I deserve these things because I've never been told that it was okay to have these things, you know? Um, And I think that's probably uh, similar for a lot of Latino families, you know? Like, the parents are just working, they're just hustling hard to try and survive to keep their, their, their family afloat, especially now with, like, the gentrification and, like, a lot of families getting displaced in certain neighborhoods, and they're just trying to figure it out. Um, so I try to be with my nieces, you know, who, who my love, and she's 10. I'm always trying to have conversations with her, 
which maybe she doesn't. I'm like, do you know what it is to be a feminist? Do you know, do you know it's important to try these things? And like, we paint together and like my little, her sister, she's two and she's, you know, because her older sister paints, she paints too. So she's mm-hmm. very different mm-hmm. upbringing than us. Cause like, I didn't know anything about art really until I was like in my twenties, Yeah, you know, because I just never had someone introduce that kind of stuff to me. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. I just want to talk about that. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, it's so fascinating, <laughs> you know, like the options that we have or that we don't have depending on like the kind of culture, class, race, oh, what yeah. have you. There's so many layers, right? <laughs> I mean, taking like a race class and gender um, <laughs> class and like whatever setting it is, I know that I've taken like race class and gender and sexual behavior and, yeah. and all these different topics. And you think about all just the layers that we don't know because we don't experience them ourselves. And it's funny because here I, I have my my mom who's like, oh, you can do anything because things were handed to her because she could do anything. Right. And then I have my very eccentric weekend dad, love him to death. He is a very like dark-skinned Filipino man. Um, I call him Filipino Bernie Mac because he's just I mean that's really him in a nutshell he's he's so funny but um you know he I don't know how they were together long enough to make two kids I don't know how they were ever but so they've been divorced my whole life but he on the other hand would kind of be this really this this he kept me so grounded because I would feel really insecure going to school I was went to school in a really rich white neighborhood and to the point where people thought that um it was just all white, and like if there were some, there were some Latin kids or a couple Asian kids, um, but the Latino community there, we were stu- were students there because their parents were part of the house staff, mm. and so that's what a lot of the kids thought that I was, mm. um, and so it's just, just even the fact that that was kind of like, oh, this is why you go to this school, you mm. know, and that's my own issues with just. I get really weird around people that are rich or born into that because I just, the whole money issue on that is, is something that is kind of brings me back to my childhood where I just felt like, okay, like I've been around it, but not in it. Mm -hmm. So it's just a really weird like topic for me to talk to about because I like, I'm like, this feels weird. But with my dad, he was like, you know, trying to be encouraging because I was really sad. I'm like, how come I can't have, at the time, air walks were really cool. And Shelto Adidas were also made a like made yeah. a big comeback, and my mom was like, "No, you can't afford that." And I remember talking to my dad and being like, "Well, we can't afford those shoes," and like, I'm really sad about like those were the kinds of things that that was the influence of like struggles, which is which is great because that means my parents were kind of shielding their own issues from me if I'm worried about what shoes are on my feet. But he really would, he would keep things real with me from a very young age and say, "You know who's making those shoes?" kids in Asia like (laughs) like like like, and he was like if you look like me a little bit more like kids that look like you are making those shoes Mm -hmm. and he actually showed me um I I don't even remember because we had yeah I mean I had internet back then like I I don't know how my dad really taught me because I must have been eight or nine anyway he would explain to me that Nikes were made in um like Bangladesh and uh, and in, in in Vietnam, and really taught me about the ugly side of capitalism and how people of color are exploited for capitalism mm-hmm. and how these groups are marginalized in order for 
these CEOs and, and, and explain to me wealth distribution. This is something that I'm like talking with my dad, at, you know, and, and he would, he'd only have us on the weekends, but he would take us to protests. I would be protesting all the time with my dad. It was like what we did on the weekends. Mm. And so I'm very lucky to have such a weird couple of parents that, <laughs> that were so different because it made me, I think, the, the rounded person that I am. But uh, yeah, and just kind of the reminder of like, yeah, I, life is not that bad for me and um, that, people, that people have it worse. And also he just encouraged me to not wear labels ever because he explained like, you know, you're, what you're doing essentially is free advertising. And those companies aren't paying you to wear a giant Nike logo. So yeah, you're upset that you can't afford that, but also you should be upset that those kids are like doing marketing and and free, you know, are building this brand that they're not even getting me paid for. And that's part of the influence that stays with me today. That's why I wear all black. Actually, like it's definitely not a goth thing. <laughs> it's it's more so like I don't want to be told what trends to follow and even like colors like. What is in this season? Is it mustard? Is it hunter green? We'll find out. Like you know, millennial pink. <laughs> yeah, millennial. No, ugh, gag. Um, so, <laughs> for me, it's just kind of like be your own person, and yeah, like don't uh, think people might not look like you, or you might not be going with the flow of everyone thing else that you're seeing. But even from that bottom, those that little lesson that that you're probably you're planting those seeds in your niece's head for sure. She's gonna grasp onto a lot of that being mm-hmm. ten years old and. And saying like, hey, these are other things. Like, I'm so grateful that my parents like said this to me as a as a kid. Um, these, you know, to think critically, and to to question, you know, and, and like, yeah, I might not anyone might not look at me look like me, but that's a superpower. My mom was like, you can blend in in so many situations. Like, you can travel and look like a lot of people on the planet. And <laughs> yeah. she's right. And I feel mm-hmm. so. I've traveled. I've had like a. That's one thing I love to spend my money on. Like, I will not eat if I can know if I can know that I'm gonna Tra- like travel. Yeah, yeah. As I, it's just so important because like you go to these different countries, you eat their food, and I think that that's the first introduction to other cultures is through their is through food mm-hmm. and just being around them and being able to like blend in a lot of setting, settings has made me feel really safe walking around these cities by myself. Like, I absolutely love Mexico City. I want to move there. Um, and Lisbon and Portugal, and I've blended in both. <laughs> and I'm Asian. I'm neither of those things. So, <laughs> so it's just like it's it's funny, but it's just kind of like perspective. Like I feel very I I feel lucky for everything that I have, and and also like if you weren't given handouts, you know, if if you were raised poor, and the little success that you might be feeling, even though you have this self doubt and and thinking. Like, oh, I don't deserve this, or there's no example of other people's really killing it that that look like me. To think of that and just shift your perspective and say, like, I'm doing this for my people, mm-hmm. and I'm doing this for people that look like me that don't have the example, and that you're a trailblazer. I think that shifting that rhetoric and your perspective on things is is such a a life hack for better mm-hmm. of uh, for for um, yeah, lack of better words. And for me, you know, it took me, I had, I had parents that encouraged me being, not looking like any of my friends and not really being accepted by white people or Filipino people that are full, Mm -hmm. um, just being kind of like this, you know, whatever I am, but also just later in life getting sick and realizing that your time is precious and just kind of shifting that narrative that you give to yourself because we're all our own worst enemies, especially women. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. We're so trained to like beat ourselves up. 
and uh, we got to stop that. Absolutely. We do. Um, so we've been chatting for a while. Okay. I don't yeah. I don't know. Let me see. <laughs> Let's see how long here. Um, oh, yeah. Well, it's like about an hour and a half. Okay. Potentially. So. Yeah. I think people's uh, attention spans. Um, I think on that note, you know, we should end this this episode of the podcast. I think I want to thank again Hannah so much. I think that we had a really great conversation. We touched on a lot of different um, topics. Um, I hope that anybody that's listening that will listen um, gets something from this. And I've, I'm still not really sure how people can reach out to me through the podcast. Um, so I'll just leave my email in like the descriptor if anybody wants to send me an email um and then if hannah's okay with me putting her email there for then mm-hmm. i'll also list that there in case anybody wants to reach out to her i still check my dms through my my business instagram so <laughs> or <laughs> you know i'll list i'll list her i'll list her her instagram dm her her business instagram so you can contact her there for for stuff if you wish um but thank you so much yeah. that wraps up this third episode of si se puede Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for having me.